Well, last week we started kind of walking through what we're going to be in over the next coming weeks, and we started talking about the importance of God's Word. We spent some time talking about the fact that it's inspired, infallible, inerrant, the importance of recognizing the truth of God's Word. And so today we're going to continue walking through what kind of flows from our mission statement here as a church. Now our mission statement here as a church, pretty simple phrase that you probably, if you've been around here a while, you've heard it. If not, maybe your first time, you're going to hear it today, you're going to hear it more if you come back again. And it's just simply this, our mission statement, we exist to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and who love people. Now, that mission statement, while very simple, it comes right from the lips of Christ. When you go into Matthew chapter 28, Mark chapter 16, Acts chapter 1, you'll find the statements that Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples of all the nations, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, when you look at our mission statement, we start with that statement to change our world. We change our world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus told us to go and to tell, to make sure that we share that with the world, that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. And by believing in him that we have salvation, that is the only hope that we have. John chapter 14, verse 6, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him. And so that picture of the gospel, the only way to change the world is with the gospel. And so Jesus told us, like, go and tell. But you continue on in that mission statement to change our world. The second part of that phrase is by developing Christ's followers. And that's a picture of discipleship, of making sure that we are growing in our faith and that we are helping others grow in their faith, to grow in their walk with Christ. And that is, again, what Jesus said. He said, make disciples of all the nations. In other words, help people know Christ, help them get to have that experience with Christ, and then help them grow in Christ. They have the opportunity of of developing, going deeper, of deepening, strengthening their faith so that they could walk closer to God each and every day. And so our mission statement, again, comes right from the words of Christ. Matthew 28, Mark 16, Acts chapter 1. Change our world by developing Christ's followers. And then the last part of that statement, who love God and who love people, comes from Matthew chapter 22, when Jesus was asked the question, what's the most important commandment? You know what he said, right? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, love God and love people. And so that's our mission statement as a church. It's why we exist. It's why we're here. It's what we want to accomplish. And the way that we accomplish that, the way that we pull that off, it kind of flows from, it springs from six different values that drive everything that we do. Now, these six values, it's a simple, again, phrase you've probably seen on the walls around here, maybe on our website, it just simply says this, that we have a commitment to Scripture and a culture of prayer and a lifestyle of worship connected in community with a heart for serving and a passion for sharing. Now, last week we talked about that first one, the commitment to Scripture. And today we're going to talk about number two and three of our values, and that is in a culture of prayer, in a lifestyle of worship. And so today that's what we're going to talk about. So I want you to go with me, if you would, Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to be in verse 14 of this passage. We're going to read just three verses today that help us to understand the importance of a culture of prayer and a lifestyle of worship, values that help us accomplish our mission 
And remember now, that mission statement is not just simply Thomas Rhodes' mission statement. That's what Jesus told all of us to do. He didn't talk to Thomas Road Baptist Church 2,000 years ago. He was talking to you and he was talking to me no matter what church you're a part of, no matter where you're from. That is what all of us have been commissioned to do. And so Hebrews chapter 4 beginning with verse 14. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Now, in these three verses, we pick up the picture of the power of prayer and worship. The power of prayer and the power of worship in our daily journey and in our daily lives. Now, when we talk about this idea of the power of prayer and the power of worship as it relates to these three verses that we just read, the first idea that we kind of pull out from the passages that we just read is that God has invited us in. And that's an important statement. He's invited us in to connect with Him. He's invited us to a relationship with Him. Again, go back to verse 14. Verse 14 says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heaven, Jesus the Son of God. Now you'll see in that verse that two things are identified. Number one, that we have a great high priest, and number two, you'll see who He is. And that is that it is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now why is that important? Why is that an important statement? Well, it's an important statement because the idea of a high priest, when you go back to the Old Testament, it's the picture of someone who will step into a mediating role between us and God. In other words, someone who will kind of play the middleman for us, if you will, between a holy, perfect God and an unholy, imperfect man or woman. Now, as I look around this room, I see thousands of faces, and the one thing that is absolute is I see some people that are young, I see some people that are old, I see some people with blonde hair and some with dark hair, a few with no hair. I see people from all different walks of life, all different ages, all different colors, and here's what I know, that the one thing that is absolutely uh, inclusive of every single one of us, the one thing that is absolutely in every one of our journeys is this, we are not perfect. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 verse 23 that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that means preachers and it means politicians and it means lawyers and business people. It means teachers and it means students and it means young and it means old. It means every one of us, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, because we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the one thing that is a natural uh, consequence of that truth is that because of that, we do not deserve to be in the presence of a holy God. You see, God cannot tolerate unholiness. God cannot tolerate sin. God cannot tolerate evil. And so because all of us come from a posture of a sinful nature, that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that we have absolutely no right whatsoever to be in the presence of a holy God. But now let's go back to this verse. Two truths that are given to us in this verse. Number one, we have a great high priest, and number two, and his name is Jesus. Now the idea of a high priest is, again, a mediator between us and God. Someone to step into the middle, to to basically provide for us three different things. And the first is he provides protection. 
Because listen, let's be honest, if God is a holy God, a God who cannot tolerate sin, a God who must punish sin, who has to punish the evil deeds that man commit, then we recognize that we need protection from that God because if we do not have protection from that God and we are all sinners who have blown it in the face of that God, then that God should punish us, right? So we need protection. We need someone to step into the middle to provide that level of protection for every single one of us. Now, I've got four kids. For those of you who have more than one child, you know that at some point in the journey of raising those children that you have, there was a time when maybe your kids did not get along. Any parents out there with more than one that have experienced that, just raise your hand. Yeah, all of us have, right? We've all been in that place at one point in our lives where there was some time when our kids were not getting along, there were some arguments going on, some fights going on, some, some things were happening there. And I remember one time specifically, my daughter Natalie's here on the front row, she remembers this as well, when my son Jonathan, my oldest, and my son Nicholas, my youngest, her twin brother, when they were not getting along one day. And in that one day, they were kind of picking at each other. You know how it starts, right? They just kind of little start picking at each other, and it goes ramps up and ramps up and ramps up. And it got to the point where they were very upset with one another, and Jonathan became very angry with Nicholas. Now, I, the one thing that I really am proud of of all four of my kids, I've raised four really smart kids. And so with those four smart kids, when Nicholas saw my son Jonathan, who was much taller at the time and much bigger at the time, get angry with him. He was very smart. He jumped up and he ran upstairs and he ran upstairs down the hall and guess where he ended up? He ended up running behind me and standing directly behind me as my other son was running up the stairs as well coming towards him. You see, what Nicholas knew in that moment is he needed a protection. He needed a middleman. He needed someone who would step in as a mediator between what he knew was certain punishment and what he deserved. And so he got behind me, and he's hanging out behind me. He would not move. My son has never been closer than he was right there in that moment to his dad. I mean, he was hanging on for dear life because Jonathan was coming towards him. Now, obviously nothing happened, and they've gotten along, and they're great, and everything's fine. But the point is, Nicholas knew that he needed someone to step into the gap. Now, here's what you need to know. Every person in this room needs someone to step into the gap for you. Every one of you needs someone to step into that role as a mediator. And so, that role of that great high priest, there's three options, right? Or three uh, parts of that. Number, the first is protection. The second one's provision. A lot like we desperately need help, right? When Nicholas got behind me, here's what he did not need for me. He did not need food. He did not need like tuition money. He didn't need book money. He didn't need lunch money. You know what he needed in that moment? He needed me to provide for him protection, right? He needed provision that I would stand there and I would provide to him a much needed service in that moment, right? Well, that's what God does. Jesus is our great high priest who protects us, but he also provides for us in whatever that we need. Now, the third element of that, which makes both of the first two possible, is that the third element of that great high priest is that he serves in the role of a propitiation. So he's a protector, he's a provider, but he's also one who propitiates, which basically means this, he gives payment. Like he pays the price. 
And that's what Jesus did when he was on the cross. He paid the price for our sins. He died on the cross, was buried, and rose again three days later so that we would have that opportunity of a middleman, of someone who just stepped into that role that we desperately, all of us needed, that role of the great high priest. And that's what Jesus did. And so this verse tells us right up front, like we all have a great high priest who passed through the heavens. In other words, he came down from heaven above, and that is Jesus, the very Son of God. Now, that first part of verse 14 is a passage in Scripture that should be circled or underlined or highlighted in your Bible, because in that simple, brief phrase is a picture of the amazing gift that I talked about a few moments ago from the baptistry that God has given through His Son, Jesus. We have been given that great high priest. What a gift. He's invited us to have a relationship with Him. But it goes on, because not only has He invited us into a relationship with Him, that He serves as that great high priest that we all desperately need, but He has invited us in and welcomed us as we are. In other words, it doesn't matter what you've done, and it doesn't matter who you are, and it doesn't matter how you've blown it, it doesn't matter how you've acted, He welcomes us exactly as we are. Look what it says in verse 15. In verse 15 it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Now, what this verse gives us a a picture of is that this high priest that is Jesus, the Son of God, who passed through the heavens, this one who comes to be that middleman to step into the role of mediator between us and God, it gives us the picture, like the Old Testament priest, that he is someone who has experienced much of what we experience in our own lives. You see, back in the Old Testament, the high priest, that person who was chosen by God, it was says and in verse in chapter five, if you can continue reading there, it tells us that he was chosen among men. And that's an important distinction. In other words, it tells us he was chosen, number one, by God, but he was also chosen among men. In other words, he was chosen and he was a person just like all of us. And so when it says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize, the alternative or the, the, the flip side of that is that we do have a high priest who is able to sympathize with all of our weaknesses. Now, that's not to say that Jesus is weak. It's not to say that he has done anything that we have done. It's not to say that he has committed the sins that we've committed, even though the high priest of the Old Testament, every single one of them were sinners who had fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus certainly lived a sinless life. And this passage tells us, verse 15 says, that he is able to sympathize with us. Why? Because he allowed himself to experience all of the same temptations that you and I experience. In other words, he understands what you go through. He welcomes you just as you are. Now listen, that is an important distinction when it comes to this fact of Jesus as high priest. Because if Jesus did not welcome us just as we are, if he was not very well versed in everything that we experience and understanding the temptations that we all uh, uh, go through and that we're all walking through and struggling with, if he did not understand the weaknesses that every one of us have, then he would not be able to provide that role of middleman, of mediator, to step into that place that we desperately need. In the Old Testament, you go back to Aaron, when he was chosen as the high priest by God. 
His role when the children of Israel were blowing it, when they were doing all the stupid, dumb things while Moses was up on that mountainside and they're down, you know, building idols to worship and they're doing all of that idol stuff, the idol worship things that were happening there. And Moses comes down and Moses is angry and God is angry. And even though Aaron permitted that, Aaron's job, because he had experienced it, because he was a human just like all of them, but his role was to bring gifts to Christ, gifts to God, and sacrifice to God to atone for their sins. So Jesus is our high priest. He's paid the price for us, but because of his position as leaving the splendor of heaven and coming down to earth, stepping into that role and allowing himself, as Satan did in Matthew chapter 4, in tempting him in everything that we are tempted in, he understands what you're going through. And it's great to know that the one who mediates for us, the one who steps into that role of middleman, uh, of being that person who can make a, you know, a case for us in the presence of a holy God, it's great to know that that person, that that person understands what we're going through, understands your weaknesses and your failings. That's an important thing because if Jesus had not done that, if Jesus did not welcome us just as we are, then the one thing that is absolutely certain is that there's not a person in this room that would ever be good enough, smart enough, wise enough, spiritual enough, godly enough, that you would ever have the right to be able to step into the presence of God and to have a relationship with Him. You could not get there if Jesus had not done what He has done. And so this picture of what Jesus did. In fact, if you go over uh, into Hebrews chapter 5, the next chapter over in verse 2, it says this, that he, Jesus, the high priest, is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he also is clothed with weakness. Now, that statement there, clothed with weakness, is a confusing statement. And here's why. Because it makes us think, well, wait a minute now, was Jesus clothed with weakness? Absolutely not. But what this is a picture of, it's a picture of the kenosis of Jesus Christ. Now, that word kenosis is a Greek word, which literally means emptying out. And so when Jesus came to this earth, when he came here as God, but yet he took on the form of man, he emptied himself out in order to step into the role of a human. Now, he did not give up his godliness. He still was God, but yet he took on 100% man. And so because of that, he experienced and understands our weakness because he was among us. And so that statement that he can deal gently with us is such a great picture of God's grace and grace, God's mercy. Because if God did not deal gently with us, if Jesus did not have that ability to deal gently with us, if we got what we deserved, man, life would not be a lot of fun. Because our sin deserves punishment. Our sin, our sin deserves consequences. Our sin deserves a holy God smacking us upside the head. And yet Jesus stepped in and deals gently with us because of his mercy and because of his grace. Why? Because he understands. He knows what you're going through. And he loves us anyway. And so this picture we get from these verses. First, is that he invites us in. And secondly, he welcomes us just as we are. And so what's natural for us to talk about, and this is where we get into these two ideas of the power of prayer and the power of worship, is that we have to take advantage of the invitation. Like we actually have to take advantage of what it is that Jesus has come to give. And that's the opportunity for us to step in just as we are. So look what it says in verse 16. In verse 16, it says this, Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. 
Now, in this verse, we find two elements that kind of play right into this idea that we're talking about of our values of a culture of prayer and a lifestyle of worship. So go back to that verse, put it back on the screen if you would, guys, uh, verse 16, because it tells us right up front in this statement, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace. So let's stop right now, look at those words there, let us approach. Now, we do not deserve to approach God in any way, shape, or form. But yet, because of the invitation that Jesus gives, because of the act of welcoming us just as we are, now we have been given the opportunity of coming before Him. Listen, let me just make sure you understand, there's not a person in this room that deserves the right of being able to call on God. You do not deserve the privilege of being able to call God and talk with Him. To be able to have that opportunity of prayer, of having that opportunity, that that communication relationship with Him, of being able to have a conversation with Him. But yet, here, not only are we encouraged to do it, we're commanded to do it, therefore, let us, in other words, do this, let us approach Him. Man, what a powerful statement. Because of who we are, because of our sin, because of our weaknesses and our failings, and yet, in spite of all of that, God says, listen, I want to hear from you. Man, what an amazing thought. The idea that there's a God in heaven, a perfect and a holy God, who actually wants to hear from an unperfect, imperfect, unholy me. It doesn't make sense. Like, I can't explain that to you because it does not make sense. From a human perspective, it should not be. But yet that's what God has done. It kind of reminds me, you know, kind of back when I was in high school, you know, when you would see a, you know, a young lady that you thought was cute, that you wanted to maybe talk to and maybe, you know, kind of get to know a little bit. And man, you know, like, like we knew how to do it back then, right? We would take a piece of paper out, we would write on a note, like, will you be my girlfriend? And we would put two check boxes, yes or no. Like, we, re- we had it going back then, guys, I'm telling you. It was awesome. And we would slip it into their locker, right? And we would just wait on pins and needles for that note to come back. Got to be honest with you, I never had one of those notes come back. Not once. I never had one of them come back. I was never invited to have that conversation with one of those girls that I left a note in their locker. And if one of those girls is in this room or listening right now, I'm still not happy with that. We were never invited back, never invited to that conversation. But God of the universe has said, no, 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 approach me. Like, I want to hear from you. Like, like, give me a call. Talk to me. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care how bad you've been. I don't care how you've messed up. Like, I want to hear from you. Like, I I want to talk to you. The power of prayer. The idea that we have the opportunity of literally having a conversation with the God who created everything. It does not make sense, but yet it is commanded and it is given. Let us approach. But now let's hold on a moment. Verse 16. Therefore, let us approach, and it goes on to say, the throne of grace. Now, that frame, uh, that phrase gives us a different picture, because that one word in that phrase, can somebody tell me the word in that phrase that makes everything different? Like, okay, let me say it again. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace. What word in there, like, really kind of creates some challenge? Can anybody yell it out to me? Nope, not grace. Grace is a good word, not the word I'm looking for. Throne. Because what that tells us is this, is that yes, we're invited to approach, but we are invited to approach the throne. And like that puts him like in a, in a totally different perspective, doesn't it? Like that gives you the idea that we've been invited to approach the king. 
We've been invited to approach the one who is all-powerful, the one who with just a word could change everything. We have been invited to talk to the king. And let's be honest, like that's a scary thought. I remember back when I was 14 years old, um, you know, my dad was, was kind of like really involved in the country at that time. And, and I remember one time I went with him to a meeting in Detroit, Michigan, and he took me to a meeting with him where he was meeting with this guy named Ronald Reagan, uh, who was president of the United States, which was pretty cool. As a 14-year-old kid, like, that's pretty cool, right? And I remember as I, you know, went into the room and, and the president walks into the room and he comes over to shake my hand. I'm like, da, 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 da. You, know, you know what to say. Like a 14-year-old kid, I'm like, I, you know, what, hey, you know, do you, do you like evil Knievel? You know, I mean, what do you say? No idea what to say, you know? I mean, I felt like this little, small, insignificant, you know, inconsequential human being that I had no right to be in the presence of the most powerful man on the face of the earth. I did not deserve to be there. Let us approach the throne. It's the same concept and the same idea, which brings us to that third value of the lifestyle of worship. In other words, do not ever forget or dismiss the awesomeness and the holiness of God. Don't ever dismiss the awesomeness and the holiness of God. Yes, we've been invited in. Yes, we've been invited in just like we are. Yes, we have been invited to have a conversation with Him. But when you are having a conversation with Him, He is still the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the one that is awesome, that is all holy, that is all powerful. He is the one that is to be revered. He is one to be held in high regard, one to be fearful of, that we need to fear him because he is almighty God. And so you think about that idea, that concept. Yes, we've been told, we've been, you know, commanded, we've been invited. Like, hey, approach my throne. We've been given the opportunity to go to the King of Kings and have a conversation. But when you do, don't ever forget who he is. When you do, don't ever forget who he is. He is almighty God. What a thought. Now, because of that, it should drive us to live differently. Like, it's easy to worship God in this room, isn't it? Like, it's easy to come in here and with this incredible worship team that's here leading us. Man, it's easy to be a, in a spirit and a heart of worship in this room. It's easy to be in a heart of worship when we're in our life groups and our Sunday school classes. It's easy to be in a, a heart of worship when we're serving in the nursery or in, in student ministries or serving in the parking lot. It's easy to be in a heart of worship when we're doing what God has allowed us to do here as part of His family, as His body. But it's not that easy to do like out in the real world. And just so you know that when you live a life of worship in this room, but you do not live a life of worship in the world, you are a hypocrite. Because worship is not something you do here. Worship is something that you do here. Worship is something that is done everywhere you go and in everything that you do, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And we must remember, as this passage tells us, yes, let us approach. But when you approach, you are approaching the throne of the King of Kings and hold him to that regard. Keep him high. Keep him high and lifted up because that's who he is. And so in this passage, we get this picture. Like, man, we've been invited in just as we are. We've been given the opportunity to experience the presence of God in a very real way. And man, we need to make sure we take advantage of that invitation. And when we talk about this idea of worship, hey, we got to make sure 
that in our lives and in our hearts, we always must honor Him as a result. I want to read this verse to you, a couple verses from Colossians chapter 3. Verse 22 says this, don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly. Fearing the Lord, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 goes along with this. Whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Worship is something that you always do. The lifestyle of worship is a -a 24-hour-a-day job because he's the king of kings. So how do we put all this into practice? And let me give you quick, four quick practical things that you can do every single day to make sure that you're living in a culture of prayer and in a lifestyle of worship, okay? They're going to be on the screen. Let me just read them to you quickly. First one's this. Don't work only while being watched. I'm sorry, that's the verse. Seek him daily for our own needs and our failings. Every day, seek him for your needs and for your failings. Every single day. And here's why. Because I know that in every single day, guess what you're going to have? You're going to have needs and you're going to have failings. So seek him every day for our needs and our failings. The second one, seek him daily for opportunities to impact others. Every single day, look for an opportunity to make a difference, to influence others, to make a change in the lives of other people. So every day, seek him in that regard. Third one, answer the call that God has given to you to be used no matter what. Like answer that call. God has called you to do something, do it. God has called you to stand up, do it. God has called you to tell others about him, do it. God has called you to make disciples, do it. Make sure you answer that call. And fourthly, give him the glory in every win. Give him the glory. Don't ever, ever, ever Take the credit for what God is doing. Because if you do, what naturally will flow from that is pride. And as the scriptures tell us, pride comes before destruction, and a haughty spirit comes before a fall. So listen, in your journey and in your life, absolutely recognize, man, what a great gift we've been given to run into the throne room to talk to God. But don't ever forget who God is. It's a culture of prayer, but all live your life worshiping Him. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the way that your word speaks to us and instructs us and changes us and challenges us. And I pray that in these moments, as we have the opportunity of making some decisions and making some commitments, Father, I pray that you would give us understanding of what you want us to do and how you want us to do it. And God, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you, I pray that in this moment that they will make the decision to believe in Jesus, that he is the son of God, that he died on the cross for their sins and rose again three days later. And by believing in him, they can find salvation. God, I pray for those believers in this room who've gotten away from you. God, I pray that you would bring them back. Lord, for those who have forgotten how to to truly understand what worship looks like, God, I pray that you would bring them back into that posture of 24-hour-a-day worship of recognizing who you are and what you've done. And God, for that, we'll give you the praise. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed in a moment, Zach's going to lead us and the altar's going to be open. Our team's going to be here. If you're here and you don't know Christ, I invite you, like in this moment, like don't wait, don't hesitate. We've talked about who God is and what God has done through his son, Jesus. Today, you might need to make a decision today to follow Jesus. Our team would love to talk with you about that. Maybe today... You are a follower of Christ, but man, you've gotten some things mixed up. 
Like prayer has not been a part of the journey. Worship is something you kind of only do on a Sunday morning. And, and you need to get that thing fixed. First John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if you are not living for God every day, that is sin. To him who knows to do right and he does not do it, to him it is sin. So today maybe you need to come to this altar, kneel here and just say, God, I'm sorry, I'm changing it now. Maybe you want to come for baptism. Maybe you want to come to join our church family. Whatever, whatever it is. Like whatever it is that God is telling you. As we stand right now, Zach leads us. I just encourage you, make a decision today that will change today and that will change forever. Let's stand. Let's sing. stripped away and I simply come longing just to breathe something that's of worth that will bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to Father, today we thank you that we can live our lives in a way to honor you, to serve you, to thank you, to talk with you. We thank you that you've invited us into the throne room. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live our lives in awe, Lord, in expectation of you and who you are and what you've done and what you are yet to do. God, I pray that for every one of us here in this room as we leave this place, Lord, help us to walk out of here in a culture of prayer, in a lifestyle of worship. And Lord, use us to bring others to you. And God will give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Make sure you pick up this book as you leave today. The altar is open. Our team would love to talk with you. God bless you and have a great week. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this new journey of faith in Jesus Christ. Send an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, we're here to help you. Just reach out to us and we'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. 
If you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love. Thank you.